It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, and welcome back to the Locked On Celtics podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Joining you Monday through Friday, every day, covering the Boston Celtics for you on the Locked On Podcast Network. We are happy to have you back, happy that you have decided to download us. We hope that you are a subscriber on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or any other podcasting app that you use. Go to our Audio Boom page when we tweet out the links or post the links. Grab the RSS feed if you have an app that can take it. Put it in there. Get it delivered to your phone, mobile device, wherever, email on a daily basis. And please rate us five stars. So, uh, I am John Corrales, joined today by Sam Packard. And uh, not much going on, Sam. No, nothing really uh, of note happened in uh, tonight's Celtics game against the Mavericks. Uh, Do you notice anything? I didn't really see anything. I really don't know what we're going to talk about tonight as the Celtics. I mean, they just beat the Mavericks. That's – oh, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Let me just check this box score. Oh, Isaiah Thomas went completely bonkers in the fourth quarter (laughs) for 22 points on like – Almost like four or five shoot. He took five shots. He took five shots and scored 22 points. I don't even know how you do that, but Isaiah Thomas does that. A 90 to 83 win, which basically was a shit sandwich. It was a really great first quarter, uh, a really great fourth quarter, and a big giant pile of crap. In the second and third, it was a sh- it was a shit sandwich on some gourmet yeah. bread, like on some, like some really good like, ciabatta, like some some expensive stuff. But like it was complete shit in the middle. But let's just get to it, man. There, there's not much to talk about besides Isaiah Thomas's game. That was completely outrageous. And now I have a, a notebook full of notes. And one of the things that I was looking at was just man, Isaiah Thomas is standing around a lot. In the second and third quarter, he's not, he's not, they, they give him the ball and he passes, he gets it back. And then when he gives it up, he's just kind of standing in the same spot. I'm like, man, Isaiah is just not active at all. And then the fourth quarter happened. Yeah, it was, it was absurd. It was just kind of there. It felt like there was a switch that he just turned on and just go to scoring mode. And it's kind of crazy. Uh, you think he should be able to do this at all times, but he has this certain knack in the fourth quarter, especially to get to the line. It was funny to see all the kind of the stats being tweeted out at, at the third quarter about how bad Isaiah had been so far. And then just 
as a Celtics fan, you kind of have this feeling that he's going to turn on and at least just get to the free throw line. Um, the fact that he made the four of five shots is just adds to his total, but his ability just to, to get to the line constantly, um, is downright impressive. And maybe he kind of, uh, soul or kind of didn't go as hard in the second and third quarter because the Celtics were up, um, 12 and then they let the Mavericks kind of creep back into the game. But He's the player that Celtics rely on in crunch time, and he just showed tonight why he definitely deserves to be an all-star and is why he's uh, one of the better point guards in this league. Brad Stevens, after the game, says, quote, pure Brad Stevens, quote, I guess I'm so used to being around him, so used to watching him operate that nothing surprises me. Oh, really? Really, Brad? Nothing (laughs) surprises you? Let's just take a look at these numbers. For those of you who didn't watch the game or, or, or aren't aware of the numbers, In quarters one through three, okay, three quarters of play, Isaiah Thomas played 21 minutes. He was three of 13 shooting, uh, one of two from three, one of three from the line, not great, for eight points. I mean, really just not a great night up until the fourth quarter started. And then in – Yeah, at that that point, I just want to say, like, Tommy was talking about how uh, his, like, finger must be bothering him because that was explaining his poor performance. Nope, not, not at, all. at all. No pain. Because in the fourth quarter, all Isaiah Thomas did was score 22 points on four of five shooting, two of three from three, 12 of 13 from the line. He went to the line 13 times in the fourth quarter. I mean, in, in 12 minutes. So, and then I, at the end of the third quarter, I remember Mike Petraglia from EEI tweeted out it's like man he's got eight points he's really gonna have to work hard if he wants to get to that 20 point uh that 20 point mark because as we mentioned in the show last night Isaiah Thomas one of three Celtics to score 20 or more points in the first 10 games of the season along with Sam Jones and Kevin McHale he went out and dropped 30 tonight and you look at it's like wow 30 point night not a bad night and if you just look at the box score, you look down and say, oh, 30 points on 7 of 18 shooting, 13 of 16 from the line. Typical Isaiah Thomas Knight. But that fourth quarter, just he hits another level. And granted, it helped a lot that Andrew Bogut fouled out on that three-pointer. He, he was trying to contest Isaiah Thomas's shot, and he just got too close and, and fouled him. So he's out. J.J. Barea who I should say, man, that injury looked bad, and I hope he's doing well. The word is that he just strained his calf, which would be amazing because I thought his Achilles exploded the way he went down. So I hope he's okay. I always hate seeing those guys go down. But he, him coming out of the game was a, a turning point for the Celtics, and without him there and without Bogut, the Celtics and, and Isaiah Thomas just continue to hammer, 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 and try to make Dwight Powell make a decision, and and that's just not going to work out very well for for Dallas. Yeah, that was. Uh, I didn't want to like uh, kind of rain on the parade, but it, Berea being out was a huge factor, uh, and it, it felt like it kind of allowed Thomas to explode. And then Bogut being out, Isaiah Thomas did a good job of drawing that foul. I kind of thought it was a one of those bullshit uh, fouls where the Isaiah kind of kicked his legs out. I'm never really a big fan of those if a if a guy just goes up to contest a shot. But Isaiah uh, did it, and Bogut fouled out of the game, and then you saw consecutive possession as uh, 
three in Dwight Powell's face, then it's driving to the lane to get past Dwight Powell, then it's driving the lane past Dwight Powell to get another foul. So uh, it might have been lesser competition, but you can't really use that to take away from what Isaiah did because it's his job to to score points, and that's exactly what he did. And he basically saved the Celtics from blowing what was a very, very winnable yeah, game. Yeah, they – look, I, I know that there is some consternation on Twitter about the quality of this win – and I, I'm, I get it. If you want to sit there and say this was a bad win or a good win or whatever, that's fine. That's up to you. I'm just going to say it's a win that the Celtics needed. And considering that hopefully Al Horford, he, he's coming back on Friday. We hope that he went through the, the pregame workout and it seems like they just gave him another day. And if he's concussion symptom free tomorrow, I really feel comfortable in him playing on Friday, finally. So, uh, without him, without Crowder, this is uh, a win that I will just take. I mean, look at look at what Harrison Barnes did to the Celtics, and he I mean he really picked on the Celtics. He twelve of twenty four shooting for twenty eight points. That was and and. In the fourth quarter, it was picking on Smart and picking on uh, Avery Bradley, just using his size to get over the top of them. Uh, went to the well one too many times, and Smart ripped him and started a fast break that was really one of the, the key turning points to this game. But no way Harrison Barnes scores 28 points with Crowder out there checking him in the fourth quarter. You know what I mean? Like That stuff is important to make note of. And so, I don't care how they win. They won. And that's it. Celtics won tonight. They're a game above five hundred. They're holding the fort. And all things considered, to be 6-5 and five at this point, I, I'll take it. Oh, yeah. You, gotta, you, you can't be, like, upset with a win. I mean, you can point out that things uh, might have not gone the way you wanted to initially. But you came out with a W. I thought it was interesting that Harrison Bard sequence when it was kind of going shot for shot with Isaiah Thomas. And you're right, the Celtics lack the wing size uh, um, was kind of startling there. And you you definitely think that Harrison Barnes wouldn't be able to pull that off. Just in general, uh, I just didn't think Harrison Barnes was the type of shot maker who could just kind of dominate uh, smaller defenders. But if Jay Crowder was in the game uh I would have to imagine that wouldn't have happened, but it kind of goes to show you just kind of a larger problem right now is with that wing depth, you don't want to put any of the kind of B, C, and D level options of Gerald Green, James Young, and Jalen Brown in the game because you just can't trust them in the game late. So if there is a player kind of of that size on the wing, the Celtics are going to have a tough time uh, defending them. But there was that one play where Marcus Smart kind of was able to figure out, get the strip, and then I thought you made a good point on Twitter that it was like a really low-key one-handed pass. It was really nice. Uh, to start the, it was awesome to start the fast break there, um, but it just, uh, like, it's good to get a win uh, while Horford and Crowder are out, and you're just going to have to keep on grinding until you get both of them back healthy. Yeah, I want to get to some of these tweets here from the folks who are tweeting during the game with the hashtag Rain and Jays. At Celtics underscore Mike. Isaiah Thomas wears number four because he's Mr. Fourth Quarter. I like that. Uh, and regarding this, because I I mentioned that pass on Twitter, at Dijon underscore Rondo, 
a pure Celtics, a pure Celtics basketball right there. That smart steal and that pass up up ahead. That was really, and I retweeted a, a video of that. If you want to go to my Twitter, if you don't know what my Twitter is uh, at Reds Army underscore John, go and just check it. That it was just the angle of it was a little tough, and it was a little bounce pass that just right up into Isaiah Thomas's hands, and just without breaking stride, allowed him to continue at full speed and get that layup. So that was that was really an important play. You can only go at Marcus Smart so many times before he makes you pay defensively, even if there's a size mismatch. But I'm really looking forward to uh, Crowder coming back. And since we're talking about Smart and that pass, why don't we just talk a little bit about Marcus Smart's passing, just a little bit. Because that pass, he had a pass early in the game where it was a full-court pass that he dropped up uh, nicely to, uh, I forget who it was. Was it Amir Johnson or Kelly Olenek? That, I forget who was running, but it was it was a full-court pass that's just perfect. It, that was the, I remember the one you're talking about. It was the, kind of that period in the first quarter where they were definitely doing their best to get out in transition, yeah. and he was trying to hit a guy right in stride for a layup. For the... Um, yeah, his passing in the open in transition has been really kind of impressive. Uh, thinking back to that crazy play the other night where I think it was Bradley had the save and then in midair he passed it to Isaiah Thomas. Um, his general just vision and awareness has been um, impressive to me. Uh, he's definitely improved as like a pocket passer in the pick and roll, but the things that make me kind of mostly go wow are kind of those moments in transition where he knows exactly what to do with the ball at the right moment. There's zero hesitation in this game. Just like we saw it uh, today. It was like, Oh, you got the steal, but then you knew like one handed push pass to Isaiah. Yeah. It, it, he's known for a lot of things, but his passing hasn't necessarily been one of them. Marcus smart, low key, really, really good passer. And I, I think that that's something that we'll have to just, make a note of a lot more. And when we started to get into this whole uh, Terry Rozier, when Ainge said that Rozier is going to be our primary backup point guard early on in preseason, no, no. Like, this is – and again, we still haven't seen the full team and how the rotations will work out. But Rozier off the ball – fine smart with the ball in his hands especially in half court situations or just an opportunity to make a pass he's more often than not making the right pass and a really good pass so his passing underrated right now i I think that's going to be something that continues i would hope so i think he's going to be the key it's going to be great when Crowder comes back and you can see Smart in that kind of fully sixth-man role, because I think it just makes the team that much better. It makes it so, one, you're just less play. We're going to have less minutes from Gerald Green and James Young, and it's just uh, just the depth will be that much better. And I think you'll really see Marcus Smart emerge as a kind of a, a better player when he has to take uh, less of the role of kind of just primary wing defender uh, when Jay Crowder yeah, returns. And, you know, one thing I noticed early on, Rozier was in there, uh, he ran a pick and roll with Jonas Jerebko early, I would say, second quarter and or late first quarter, and the spacing was all off. Uh, you just it's he's a second year player, 
And ha- putting Rozier in a situation where he has to handle the ball a lot and make a lot of decisions, he's got good point guard instincts, but he's still learning a lot. Uh, and you know, it's funny, and I, I want to get into a little bit of Jay- Jalen Brown because he was, eh, he was okay, but he made a few mistakes. I mean, he had a dunk where he was out of position. Uh, it was, I want to say, second quarter. He was out of position on a closeout, overreacted, jumped like 10 feet in the air because he's the most athletic person in the world to try to block the shot. And his momentum just kind of carried him out. And he just, it, naturally, because he screwed up and overreacted, he had like a run out and ended up getting a dunk on that. But, I've seen Jalen out there not able to get by guys like he has in the preseason and in summer league and and really seeing that not only is it harder to get by guys, but when he does get by guys, the defense behind that player is much quicker to react, closes off lanes to the basket, the help defense is a lot better, and going up against real NBA players, it's difficult for a guy like Jalen Brown and to tie in my point difficult for a guy like Terry Rozier to go out there against real NBA players even on a struggling team like the Dallas Mavericks they are real NBA players on the roster with cohesive defensive plans and they are obviously well coached so they're going to get to their spots it's harder for those guys to do the things that we saw in them early on in preseason and summer league And I was listening to the Zach Lowe podcast, and he had a great point about Miles Turner, who is supremely talented and way ahead of both of these guys right now in his second year. Miles Turner said last year he was guessing a lot in his pick-and-roll coverage and, and playing defense and just relying on his talent. And these guys out there are guessing a lot. They're not really close to being where they need to be knowledge-wise. So Jalen Brown is is doing some things based on pure athleticism, but he's guessing on the floor. He has to be. And I think Terry Rozier, to, to a little bit of a degree there, also doing the same. So hard to ask these guys to, to produce some of the things that we had seen and live up to our expectations. And, and now... With these injuries, you put them on the floor at the same time. It's hard for these guys to produce. It's easy to see why these lulls happen in the second and third quarters. Yeah, and I think your point about kind of the speed of the game and, and their decision-making is key. We saw both of uh, Jalen Brown and Rozier had uh, three turnovers tonight, and it wasn't wasn't pretty. Uh, I am, I'm hesitant to kind of lump both of them um, into the same kind of young struggling because I think Rozier is a year better and uh, more aware defensively. I think he gives a kind of a better defensive effort. And maybe that's just because he has um, kind of less decision-making responsibilities as the guard in the pick and roll. He kind of just has to worry more about the, the guy he's uh, defending on the perimeter. But I just generally think his, his defensive awareness and his defensive effort is, um, is better than Jalen Brown. But at this point, uh, Brown is kind of, he's where you expect him to be as a rookie, but it's, 
I feel like you kind of have to keep playing him because even though we had the the James Young explosion game and uh, Gerald Green had like what two good passes in the pick and roll on offense, neither of them have really proven themselves as better uh, defenders at this point. Gerald Green looked completely lost Ugh. out there in his seven minutes of defense. It was it was a few moments of hey Gerald Green, look at him making a nice pass in the pick and roll, and then just completely getting lost on switches. And uh, I know he was. Um, responsible for a completely wide open Wesley Johnson three is just he's he's been been garbage and it kind of shows you how bad the second and third quarter was that Jalen I mean that Gerald Green even got into yeah, the he game was not good I know he came in and, and did like provided I guess a little bit of energy on the offensive side he at least pushed which was nice and got into the lane and got those paint touches, which is nice. I mean, when the ball gets into the paint, good things happen. The Celtics don't do that enough. But there were, just on the offensive side, two really early ill-advised threes where not only I, – I get that he was open, but he wasn't really – didn't feel like he was square to the basket. He just caught and just chucked, which – you're not that guy. That's that's Steph Curry stuff to do out there. That's, let Isaiah Thomas, even if we get to our own team, let him do that stuff. But even Isaiah didn't take threes like that. So I'm starting. Gerald Green is starting to fill my first half of the season. Evan Turner from last year kind of hate. Regular listeners of the show oh, yeah. know that last year in the first half of the season. I really led into uh, Evan Turner before before Lee got shipped out of town and Turner became kind of that indispensable do-it-all guy. I think Gerald Green is starting to fill that role for me, which is nice. It makes me feel whole. Yeah, you need you need a solid person to yeah. hate. Um, I need a nemesis. I, I pray. I pray that Gerald Green doesn't do the same as Evan Turner um, and kind of change your heart because that doesn't mean Gerald Green would be playing a lot of minutes, and I just don't see any scenario uh, in which that would be good. And just looking at the the plus-minus for tonight, the three Celtics players who are in uh, the negative are the three guys we're talking about, uh, Jalen Brown, Gerald Green, and Terry Rozier. No, no, nothing too bad. Rozier was the worst at minus six, but it just goes to show you that it's like those three guys were, were struggling. Um, it was kind of funny. We were watch. I was watching the the game with my girlfriend. She pointed out uh, she at Tyler Zeller and goes, "Who's that guy?" <laughs> and I just, oh, I explained it's Tyler Zeller. And she goes, "Oh, he kind of just looks like the guy who's on the team because he's tall." And I was like, "That's pretty much his only role." <laughs> Tyler Zeller. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing the thing that uh, the girlfriends can pick out uh, the exact some astute analysis from the from the <laughs> sidelines. It's true. I mean, Tyler Zeller is basically the generic NBA 2K character, build a character. He's like the base for a character if you're building like a power forward. Like that's, but whatever. Poor Tyler. Not very good. Uh, but anyway, Gerald Green, also not very good. A- another question from Twitter from uh, at Michael McSee. Will Jalen get enough quality minutes once the Celtics are healthy? Would some D-League time be more valuable in the long run? Which is an interesting point. And I know you and Jay touched on this earlier in the week because you're talking about um, James Young. James Young had a big game against the Pacers. And the question was, does does that sort of stuff kind of take away from Jalen? I, 
I would like to see Jalen play basketball. And when the Celtics are fully healthy, that's an excellent question to me because, yes, I think it would be great for him to go play 30-some-odd minutes, and maybe the Celtics on uh, some off days will send him to go and do that and call him back up to be kind of some depth. But it, it's hard because sometimes that's that could be counterproductive because that, that takes away from practice time. And you kind of need him to go out there and practice against, you know, he's got to guard Jay Crowder in, in a practice, in a fully healthy practice. And so there's benefits to keeping him in Boston and not sending him to Maine, getting him some repetitions, keeping him around this coaching staff, keeping him around these guys, having that continuity and building his confidence in practice and going through post post-practice drills and stuff like that. But I definitely see some merit, you know, maybe if the the Red Claws are playing a game where the Celtics have a couple of days off, and why not send them and have them go and just work on some things for 30 minutes and get get some good solid basketball behind them. And hell, maybe against a little bit lesser competition, see the ball go in a little bit and and, and gain some confidence. Yeah, I think that was a that would be um, one of the major reasons for sending him up there because he's guaranteed to to do well. We see was it Abdel Nader is averaging forty five yeah. points a game in the Red Claws now. Um, I've always had this kind of internal debate: is is just kind of minutes on the floor uh, more helpful, or is it kind of um, useful minutes against better competition in practice? And I don't think we've really seen. Uh, or have a, a good answer. I think I would lean towards you that just playing against better competition will, will probably get him um, greater development. But there is there is an argument to be made that he just needs to play basketball at this point uh, for greater periods of time because uh, he's only, what, 20 years yeah. old now. Uh, but I agree with you. He's I think he's too val- – I think he's just right there at like the 10th, 11th guy and too valuable right now uh, – to have him be in Maine for any like long extended period of time. Like you'd much rather get him actual game minutes last year. It made sense with like Mickey Rozier and Hunter where they had no real ch- uh, chance of playing to kind of uh, put them in Maine for uh, a longer periods of time. I, they never spent like too long up there, but there's like send him up for regularly for games. So I don't think Jalen Brown's going to spend too much time in Maine, but it's, it might be something they look at just uh, if the schedule. Permits. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. So, We'll see. Uh, you know, there's plenty of, plenty of time for that to work itself out. Um, other things from tonight, I, I don't see much. Like Amir Johnson, I, I don't want to do this tonight. And maybe maybe this is for tomorrow's show that we got to really look hard at what Amir Johnson is doing because I'm not seeing much from Amir Johnson so far this season. And hopefully we will kind of, when Horford gets back and, and, and kind of see a little bit more and, and but I think we're starting to raise this question again. When Horford gets back, do you start a Linux? Do you start Amir Johnson? Do you need a Linux production coming off of the bench? Because a night like tonight, not an overly obviously productive night, but ten points, four rebounds for a Linux, a plus four, so we had a positive impact during the game. Uh, made some nice plays. Some again, your favorite thing, Sam. 
positional defense. He's out there moving his feet, staying in front of guys. So is that better off of the bench or do you need that in the starting lineup? And do you move Amir Johnson to the bench and just kind of shuffle him in for Horford here and there and, and limit his minutes are is 20, almost 29 minutes tonight. Is that too much for Amir Johnson? I don't know if we want to get into that now. I think maybe that's just a better topic for maybe another show, but uh, a lot of questions with Amir, uh, this season. Well, there you go. You previewed tomorrow's show is the big Amir Johnson <laughs> debate. Uh, what, not, what are we going to do with Amir Johnson once uh, Al Horford comes back? I would tell you uh, what I think, but I'm going to say uh, tune in oh, tomorrow and uh, find that's out. That's a big tease. All right. Uh, all right. I like it. I like it. So that's that's the, the game. Yeah, that the, A nice beginning, a nice ending. And a whole bunch. One, one thing I just want to mention before we go is that Avery Bradley did have 13 yeah, rebounds, which right. is uh, absolutely another sturdy. another <laughs> insane rebounding game. And look, it's amazing what happens to Avery Bradley because he's having this amazing start to the season, and people keep talking about you know a potential second All Star. We talked about it last night on the show, and Avery Bradley, if he continues having this kind of season has to be in that mix, but there's so many good guards in the East that I don't know, but somehow Avery keeps f- slipping through the cracks. 18 points, 13 rebounds, but a 22.4th quarter by Isaiah Thomas wipes all that out, and we're just gaga over IT, and yeah, Bradley just kind of slowly What's keeps it? on doing his thing. It's a classic kind of recency bias thing because Avery Bradley's the king of the first quarter. So by the time the game ends, we always forget uh, all the contributions he does has in the first quarter. And the Celtics have a pretty good uh, system right now where if Bradley can dominate the first and then Isaiah can dominate the fourth, they're in good hands. They just need to find just some way to not mess up the game in the second and third quarters. And uh, then you got a winning yeah, formula. That would work out very well. And hey, look, you know what? In the end... They held a team to 83 points, which is a nice counterbalance to them giving up 120 points uh, a couple of times. So everything always shakes out in the end, and this one game alone is going to dramatically increase their defensive ranking uh, because it's so early in the season. So we'll see how that all pans out. But yeah, Avery Bradley... Another 11 defensive rebounds, 13 rebounds overall. By far the Celtics' leading rebounder. (laughs) The second leading rebounder, Marcus Smart, tied with Jonas Jerebko. How about that? I'm just surprised they out-rebounded any team, but uh, I'm uh, like I... By 21! Like I think I... Yeah, but uh, I think we have to caution everything and just saying this is... Uh, the two and seven Dallas Mavericks, and without their best player, they're bad. They're this a bad. This brings team, up but, uh, another interesting point, maybe for tomorrow's show. Maybe we're, maybe ooh. maybe I'm just formatting tomorrow's show now. The Celtics, obviously, we look at the rebounding numbers, and when you get crushed on the boards, you lose. But the rebound, they out rebounded the Mavs by 21, and it took a 22 point fourth quarter from Isaiah Thomas. Nothing to do with the rebounding for them to win this game. 
And up until a few minutes into that fourth quarter, they had a significant rebounding edge and they were losing. So you can get, you can lose by getting crushed on the boards, but being a plus on in rebounds doesn't guarantee that you're going to win, which is interesting. So how overrated is some of this rebounding stuff? Well, you could, you could, uh, We'll talk about this tomorrow, but my I guess my one point is that uh, when you're shooting as poorly as they did in the second and third quarters, you're not really capitalizing off that rebound advantage, and thus uh, it kind of gets the waters get muddled. But uh, I think it's a it's a good question. Is that we we really tend to focus in on one thing after a loss and really sensationalize it. But uh, you know what? Uh, we're a daily podcast, that's a job. <laughs> <laughs> and that's good. We do our jobs. I think we do it well. You can let us know that we do our jobs well by rating us five stars on iTunes. That'll help us out a lot. Helps boost us up in the rankings. We can't go out and score 22 points in a quarter. You have to give us your approval so we can feel good about ourselves and whatever. Uh, Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And before we go, I'm going to end the show and tack on my weekly Wednesday hit. This is our Thursday show, but every Wednesday I am on the Big Jab in Portland, Maine, uh, 96.3 FM with Chris Sedanka, Javier Garidi. Here's that. This has been the Locked On Celtics podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. That's right. Tonight is game night. Celtics getting ready to take on the Dallas Mavericks to talk about that and much, much more from the Locked On Celtics podcast and RedsArmy.com. At RedsArmy underscore John on Twitter, he is the one, the only John Corrales. What's up, buddy? I'm doing okay. How you guys doing? <laughs> We're good, man. We're good, buddy. What? We're good. What? I just, I enjoy your, I enjoy your energy and passion. I enjoy it. I enjoy seeing your tweets at like two in the morning about arcane Celtic stuff. I just enjoy you, man. You're a good dude. <laughs> well, at least somebody does. <laughs> um, how worried should we be about Horford? Is he ever going to play again? <laughs> I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not worried. I'm not worried. Uh, all indications are that he went through another workout today, that the Celtics are being cautious. They're giving him an extra day to just, recover and make sure that he is going through this without any symptoms. There is no failure of protocol. I never want to say the word protocol again, but there was no failure of, of that. So it, it seems without any official report, he's definitely out tonight. That's official, but it seems like Friday is a realistic target for Al Horford to return. Uh, Crowder, it sounds like he might be practicing later this week. Doesn't mean he's going to be clear, but at least uh, he'll he'll be kind of taking that next step. He's another guy that could come back Friday or Saturday. The Celtics have a back-to-back, so it could be Golden State or Detroit, but he's out there. He's been shooting after practice. You know, not just standing there and shooting lightly. He's been off the run. Uh, he's, you see him out there before the game going through his ankle, you know, strengthening exercises. So he's coming along. He's close. I mean, we are this close to a full Finally. Celtics squad. I don't want to jinx anything, but, like, 
this close where this is the 11th game of the season and by game 12 or 13, we might actually have the Boston Celtics, the 2016-17 Boston Celtics. That being said, John, uh, you know, I think we're always all looking ahead and the rumors always persist. And whether it's the Clay Thompson deal or another deal that comes down the pipe here at some point, with the Nets not being as bad as we thought they might be, at least early on, and what that does the value of that draft pick, um, do the Celtics, like, are, are they required here to make a move midseason to, to take that next step? Do you think there's pressure for them to do that? And can they make a deal that doesn't include Avery Bradley? Uh, they're not under any pressure. Uh, they can, and they can make a deal that doesn't include Avery Bradley. The, the thing to watch right now, in the next couple of weeks, there's certain stages of the way this is all going to go down. So the first thing to watch for sometime after Thanksgiving, early December, is the collective bargaining agreement. So the union and the league have sat down. They've hammered most of this stuff out. We don't know what the details are. Danny Ainge probably does by now. He's probably at least heard most of it. But it needs to be finalized. It needs to be voted on and ratified by by both sides. That is important because it'll tell you the mechanisms in place for free agency and how much money the Celtics will be able to get in free agency. And most importantly... What the Celtics will be able to do with guys like Kelly Olynyk? Kelly Olynyk's an important piece of this entire thing. If the rules are changed, and I won't get into the arcane you know, stuff about it, but the rules may change in a way that makes it very difficult for them to wait on signing Kelly Olynyk and, and signing a free agent first. The rules, as they are right now, you could wait to sign Kelly Olynyk you could go out and sign a big free agent. Let's pretend they went out after Blake Griffin. And then they could sign Kelly Olenek afterwards. They might change that. So that would kind of spur Danny Ainge to say, if we can't keep Kelly, we may want to dangle him and trade him. So then you start to look forward to December 15th. That's when the, that's the first deadline. Remember the, the Rajon Rondo trade? That happened in mid-December. Because that's when guys who are on the tail end of their contracts or have a little bit of time left on their contracts, that's when they become most attractive. The closer you get to the trade deadline in February, the less value they have. So that's when guys like, you hear the name DeMarcus Cousins out there, or whoever else is out there, that's when the real heat starts to, to get on, on the rumors. So that's the next thing to, to watch for. Will Danny do it? He's always going to be calling. He's always going to be looking for something. If he doesn't feel like he can keep Kelly Olynyk, then, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if those rumors started heating up. And, yeah, he could probably keep Avery Bradley because I bet Marcus Smart might be a little bit more attractive considering that he's younger and cheaper and still on his rookie deal and has a, a much higher upside, theoretically, than, than Bradley. You can keep Bradley, who's 20 five as opposed to smart who's 22 and a team might want to build around a younger cheaper guy like that so it's it's complicated really really complicated but yeah i wouldn't be surprised if, if rumors started popping off in a couple of weeks well john let's talk about the present boston celtics who have certainly had their struggles so far and uh, really, you know, we talked about rebounding earlier this year but also the, the defense has been a um, 
I don't know if dumpster fire is the right term, but it's been inconsistent. <laughs> we'll be nice here, and we'll say it's been inconsistent so far. You know, what's your take on, on what you've seen on the defensive side of the ball? Well, you know, some of it is effort. Some of it is guys who give up or, or aren't giving it 100%. There's, there's a little bit of that, no doubt about it. But when you look at some of the lapses that are out there, if we're being fair, you're asking Jordan Mickey to go out there against Anthony Davis and defend this guy because the New Orleans Pelicans are a big team and they throw some big guys out there and you can't just go small against those guys because you're going to get murdered on the board. So that's Jordan Mickey's time to shine. He had one awesome defensive play against Anthony Davis, but then not so much. So some of the defensive deficiencies are because you're asking those guys, him, Gerald Green, who's who's just been relegated to the bench, even with all of these injuries, and, and other guys who may not see much time, you're asking them to play minutes alongside one another, not just alongside regular rotation guys. They're playing minutes together. That's going to lead to a lot more breakdowns. And we're judging that team against our expectations preseason coming in. So if we're being fair... Let's wait to judge the Celtics' defense until maybe next week and we get to see at least a little bit of Horford, Crowder, Smart together, and you can run that. I mean, I'm so excited for an Isaiah Thomas, Avery Bradley, Marcus Smart, Jay Crowder, Al Horford lineup. That lineup is going to be devastating against other teams. That's going to be their best defensive lineup. They haven't all been healthy together yet. So let's. I would just caution everybody to wait and see how that goes and if in a few weeks that still doesn't look good then we can start panicking well john sort of along those lines you know i think you know, we we all love to pontificate and think about what you know danny Ainge is thinking and how he views this team and what he you know what deficiencies you think he sees what deficiencies do like from danny Ainge's point of view from the gm uh, point of view of the celtics how do you think he looks at this club now as far as because you know, he's a very patient guy too I, I think you know fans are much more impatient than he is how do you think Danny Ainge looks at this club right now, and, and how deficient do you think is do you think he thinks this team is, if at all? Because I, I would imagine that Ainge's point of view on this team is quite a bit different than most fans out there. Sure, yeah. When you're looking at this from a, a Danny Ainge perspective, there are look, you're getting crushed on the boards, so you need a rebounder. You need somebody out there that can kind of tie this rebounding thing together. Uh, so there's there's a size issue, or at least maybe not necessarily size, but at least a better fit in that rebounding mix to kind of prevent you from getting crushed on the offensive boards. Uh, I think he, he clearly knows that the Celtics need a star player. This has all been building up to the star player, and it's not a secret that no one's, no one's surprised by, by me saying that or that Danny Ainge would be pursuing that. So when he looks at this team, you see – uh, a bunch of guys who are really good. Isaiah Thomas is, is a key point in this. Jay Crowder is key. But all of those guys who are really good aren't necessarily going to get you to that next level. But, again, at the same time, we don't have the information of the next collective bargaining agreement, and that's really, really important because that may be a reaction to the Kevin Durant signing in Golden State that may prevent certain things from uh, moving forward over there. Maybe they have to start making trades. You don't know who's going to become available after that, what teams are going to, cons- what the next uh, round of championship 
contenders is going to look like because that formula that we're operating under now might not be the formula that next year's champion uh, has to follow. So there are deficiencies. There's no doubt. The Celtics need another star player. That's no doubt. Al Horford will fill some of that role. The Celtics have an opportunity. They have the money to go out and get somebody in free agency. I think that might be the preferred path. And from there, a, a trade that may be forced because of the way the new collective bargaining agreement works out, that might be something that he has to do to fix another problem that's on the roster. John, let's be honest. Those guys are going to play on Friday. It's Golden State. <laughs> totally. I'm totally, I buy that. At least Horford. I really do. There, yeah. There's some rumors, and people want to jump, you know, jump to conclusions and everything. And, you know, he's still technically out indefinitely, but every everybody, the tea leaves, you read them, and it, it Friday looks good. If there's no, if, there, if he comes out tomorrow in practice and says, I feel good, then he's playing Friday. John, uh, last question. You better. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Sorry. No, go ahead. Last question, I'll let you go. Uh, tonight, again, you're not going to get wrapped up in one game, but it'd be nice to see this thing start going in the right direction, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, there's no Dirk. Dallas is struggling. They they are a team that can be had. You know, they're they're out in the road. This is an opportunity after a tough loss uh, on the road. You're coming home. You're playing a team that's scuffling a little bit without – uh, one of their their best, well, historically best players. This is this is a chance in front of your home crowd to get a much needed win, knowing what's ahead, and you can't fall into this trap. You can't be thinking about Golden State. You got to go out there and smoke these guys, knowing that you got some healthy guys coming back. So put that effort forward tonight. Go out there, build up a big early lead play some defense, maybe grab a rebound or two, and, and give the fans something to cheer about because then on Friday you got the you know one of the best teams ever assembled coming in and you got some reinforcements potentially coming in and you're going to go do some battle on national TV. So let's get this thing out of the way and give the fans something to enjoy. From RedsArmy.com, also the Locked On Celtics podcast. You can find him on Twitter, at RedsArmy underscore John, John Corrales. John, always appreciate your time, my friend. Enjoy tonight. We'll talk to you next week. All right, guys. See you. Thanks, bud. Thanks, John. Rejecting the screen has been retweeted by Kobe, Dame Lillard, and Vince Carter. So it's fair to say you should give it a shot. I'm Noah Kozlov. And I'm Adam Stanko. Rejecting the screen hits your feed every Tuesday and Thursday. On Tuesday... We talk hoops and a little bit of life. On Thursday, we go ISO with a guest. Stories from anyone and everyone who has touched the NBA with tales we promise you've never heard before. Find Rejecting the Screen right now wherever you get podcasts and hit that subscribe button.